0: Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Well, today we continue our series in the Book of Romans up to part five of a a, a series that I've called Being, uh, all about us being the church. And we're using uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome as a background to this. So let's jump straight in with part five today, reading from Romans 3 and 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is the boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Now, That's a really, really meaty and wordy passage. But I want to dig into that today Uh, because this is the start of uh, the good news. I've been saying that this letter to the church in Rome is really neatly divided between good news uh, or bad news to start and good news. Uh, So Paul, first of all, talks about um, what's wrong in the world in the world of the day of the Romans, but in our world today. uh, What is it that's wrong with the world? And then he flips to uh, the answer, the wonderful remedy to that. And the good news of Jesus is the solution. So today, this passage actually commences Paul's wonderful explanation of the good news. He has clearly articulated the problem. And uh, then the whole thing changes with two little verses at the start of verse 21, but now, and then the whole thing flips, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known. So back in verse 10, he has said, there is no one righteous, not even one. That's the problem. Uh, And here in verse 21, but now, there's the flip, a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, and right there is the beginning of the solution. And when he says, apart from the law, he's saying, well, the solution, this good news, this is not something that you can muster up for yourself. This is not, well, I just got to try a little bit harder. This is not, I've just got to try and keep a whole bunch of rules. It's not that. He says, this is a righteousness has nothing to do with you. It comes outside from outside of you. Uh, It is from God It has nothing to do with anything that you can do for yourself. So we will look at this uh, briefly in two parts today. Firstly, there's a problem that needs to be addressed. And then there is something that we need to do in response. So first of all, the problem that has to be addressed. And here's the problem. Uh, And it's really, really interesting because uh, in chapter three here, verses 23 and 24, kind of seem to contradict themselves. Because in verse 23, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's the contradiction, and all are justified freely by His grace. So how can those uh, who have been described as having sinned at the same time be described as being justified? (laughs) Uh, Romans 4 and 5, fast forwarding a little bit further, uh, Paul speaks of God who justifies the wicked. Now, one dictionary definition of the word justified means vindicated. So how are the wicked vindicated? Again, it seems like a bit of a contradiction in terms. Uh, another uh, meaning of the word justified is to be justly treated. How can God justly treat the wicked, and at the same time, vindicate them. So that's the problem that needs to be addressed. We've got to sort out that contradiction. And the key to that is the second part of verse 22. He says, There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. So let's unpack this. He says, all have sinned. He reminds us of that. But then he introduces this new concept. All who have sinned may be justified. And friends, this is God's gift of grace. This being justified is a beautiful expression of God's grace. It's a gift. The fourth thing he says in that statement is that all of that is made possible by the blood of Jesus being an atonement. Now atonement is actually a great word, but it's not a common word. Uh, It basically means a compensation for wrong. But there's also another word that's used in much older translations, and it's not a word that we hear at all today, and it's the word propitiate. And the word propitiate means to turn away wrath. Satisfying its demands and requirements. Or to propitiate is to appease an offended person. So, if there is an offended person whose wrath needs to be turned away, who is that person? Well, friends, the answer is it is God. So, let's put all that together. Paul has talked about God's righteous character in the earlier chapters. He then went on to talk about his wrath, which has been provoked. And we've talked about his judgment, which has to be faced. So who is going to address God's wrath? Who is going to satisfy God's judgment? Well, simply the answer is Jesus. It is Jesus. It is his sacrifice on the cross that is the propitiation. That is, it is Jesus who will turn away God's wrath by satisfying its demands and its requirements. So to help us understand that further um, and to understand why it's necessary, let's first of all ask the question, who did Jesus die for? And there's gonna be a whole bunch of answers that all people will give. Well, Jesus died for the world. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for me. And they're all really, really good answers. And in part, they are right. But simply, friends, ultimately, Jesus died for God because you and I didn't demand the cross. God demanded the cross. You and I would be perfectly happy for some other kind of arrangement that as long as we were genuinely sorry for our sins, as long as we confessed our sins, as long as we repented of our sins, that we could be forgiven without any need for the cross at all. I think that would suit us all down to the ground. I'd be really happy with that. You know, as long as I came before God and I confessed my sins, really repented, really sorry that God would forgive us. uh, Again, we'd be happy with that. Um, You know, Gary and I, we we have five kids, um, three adults, two still at home. Uh, But when our kids were little, if they did something wrong and they were found out, there would be this tearful plea for forgiveness and they'd say, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And as most parents do, we accept the the apology. Now, I don't ever, ever remember in our children's childhood ever saying, listen, what you did was wrong and one of us has to die for this. Now that sounds silly and yet it's exactly what God does and this is exactly what the cross is about. We would be so happy for some other arrangement that brings about the forgiveness of our our sins without the cross being necessary at all. But that's not possible because our natural position is that we are under the judgment of God. We are under the wrath of God because of our sin. That's what Paul has taken all that time to uh, describe or to explain in the earlier chapters. So the demand for the cross actually comes from God himself. And the reason is because God is just. And therefore, because of his perfectly just character, it is impossible for God to just Casually forgive sin. Exodus 23 and 7, he says, I will not acquit the guilty. Proverbs 17 and 15, the Lord detests acquitting the guilty. So the idea that you can kind of go and do what you like and come back, and as long as you say, I'm sorry, you're acquitted, God detests that because God is a just God. And if saying, I'm sorry was enough, then the cross is not necessary. No, 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 something had to take place to satisfy the just wrath of God. Somebody had to use that word, propitiate the wrath of God. And there are one of two options. Either you and I can face the consequences of our sin, which would not be pretty, or someone takes our place. Someone acts as our substitute. In fact, a sinless substitute. And friends, this is exactly why Jesus had to become a man. He had to represent us. He was one of us, but he was sinless. And he stands between the wrath of God and the sinfulness of every human being, soaking up the wrath of God in himself. John says in 1 John 2 and 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Friends, you've got to get a hold of this. It is Jesus who addresses the wrath and the judgment of God. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, And again, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Again, John says in 1 John 4 and 10, this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And what Paul is saying here is this, because God is perfectly just, God cannot acquit the guilty simply because he wants to. Which means the only way that you and I may be acquitted is that Jesus himself takes the consequences of our sin upon himself and satisfies the just wrath of God so that as a result, you and I can be acquitted. You see, there are two things in the character of God that make the cross necessary. One is his justice. The other is his mercy. God is both just and merciful. But if you think about that for a while, you come to realize that those things Two things are actually incompatible because justice is giving people what they deserve and mercy is not giving people what they deserve. So how is it possible for God to be just and merciful at the same time? Because when you think about it you can't apply justice and mercy to the same person at the same time for the same crime. I mean it makes no sense we can't do it in a court of law. Just suppose I'm caught going 130 kilometers an hour on the highway. I'm given a ticket by, I elect to go to court. And I stand before the judge who presents the charge. And then I confess, yeah, I'm guilty, I did it. Now the judge can do one of two things. He can say, I'm going to fine you $300 or whatever the fine is. uh, And he can deal with me justly. Here's the fine, $300. I pay the fine and I go. Or he can deal with me mercifully and say, listen, I understand you were in a hurry to an important meeting and looking at your record, you've never done this before. So I'm going to let you off. And so he's being merciful. But he can't do both. He can't both fine you and let you off. You can't show justice and mercy at the same time. And yet God is both just and merciful. So how does that work? Well, let's go back to the courtroom analogy. Supposing a friend of mine came to the court with me, but waited outside. Uh, and I come out and he says, Well, what happened? And I say, Well, I got fined $300. And he says, Well, do you have $300? I'm gonna, Not really. Things are pretty tight. And my friend goes straight in and pays the fine for me. The record of the court will say Peter Shirley, offence speeding, punishment $300, paid in full. And my friend, who owed nothing to the court, my friend who was guilty of no crime, paid the fine and satisfied the justice of the court. I hope you understand. And friends, in the courtroom of heaven, the record is Peter Shirley, sinner, guilty under the wrath of God, but the penalty he deserves has been paid. Why? Because Jesus, who had no sin of his own, stepped into the situation and on the cross, he was saying in effect that as the father looks at me on the cross, he sees Peter Shirley. And all the wrath of God against my sin, all the judgment of God upon my sin, Jesus as my substitute took it all on the cross. And I have been declared righteous because of the justice of God that has been satisfied by what Jesus did for me. Now, here's a question. When you confess your sin to God and you ask him to forgive you, you, are you appealing to his mercy or are you appealing to his justice? When you say, please forgive me, are you asking him to be merciful or are you asking him to be just? Think about that. Uh, and if you said you were appealing to his mercy, uh, I'm sorry to say that you were wrong, but don't feel bad. Most people would get the answer to that question wrong. And this is really important for us to understand. 1 John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You've got to know this, because Jesus died on the cross for us, he has fully 100% satisfied what the justice of God demands. That means, friends, that the basis of God's forgiveness is his justice, not his mercy. His justice is satisfied. God is obligated to forgive us. Why? Because Jesus has paid for it. And that's why we're not described as being mercified. There's no such word, but we are described as being justified. Justice has been satisfied. Friends, if we were appealing for God's mercy or to God's mercy for our forgiveness, God's got no obligation to do that. And you and I would have absolutely no certainty that he would do that. And we could go to him time after time, even for the same sin over and over. And we kind of hope and we pray, God, in your mercy, please forgive me again. And we approach him in that regard as a beggar, pleading and pleading that in his mercy, he might forgive me. But there's no guarantee because I'm just appealing to his mercy. Let me give you an illustration of that. Just suppose I'm driving home after church and I really want a cup of coffee and I go into my favorite coffee shop and I say, hey, listen, I would love a cup of coffee, but I've got a problem. My problem is I forgot to bring any money with me. Uh, But would you give me a cup of coffee? And I would say, well, listen, I'm sorry, we're not running a charity. This is a business. Yeah, yeah, but it's only a cup of coffee and uh, that's nothing major. Uh, And listen, not one from the machine. Just give me an instant from out the back or something. Uh, Now, that won't send you broke. Uh, it doesn't have to be a large one. Just give me a little one. Well, well, I'm sorry, sir, we don't give away coffee here. Oh, yeah, but just this once, please, please, please. And then there's this lineup of people uh, behind me uh, waiting to be served. And so just to get rid of me, the guy makes me a cup of coffee. Well, here it is, but please don't tell anyone. And I go and sit down and I enjoy my cup of coffee. That's great. Now, the next week on my way home from church, dying for another cup of coffee. So I go into the same coffee shop and I go up to the same guy and I say, I'd love a cup of coffee. And the guy looks up and goes, yeah, I remember you. I hope you got some money. Well, no, as a matter of fact, I didn't bring any money with me this week either. And he would say, well, listen, I'm sorry, but we're not giving you another, co- another cup of coffee. But, but you gave me one last week. Now guarantee that didn't hurt you. Guarantee business didn't go broke. Guarantee you didn't lose your job. And and, and again, I'm not asking for one out of the machine, just another instant coffee, just a little one, I'll be fine. Listen, mate, I told you last week, we are a business. We cannot just keep giving away cups of coffee. Yeah, but just one more. You did it last week, and I know you are a really kind and generous person. Um, So please, 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 just, just this once. And again, there's this queue building up behind me. So he says, this is the last time. Here's your cup of coffee. And I take my cup of coffee and sit down. Well, the third week I'm on my way home and I pull into the coffee shop. And as I walk through the door, he looks up and says, oh no. And I say, yeah, I would love a cup of coffee, but you know, I've forgotten to bring money again. And he would say, I'm sorry, but you need to leave. I am not gonna give you any more cups of coffee uh, for nothing. Now friends, here's what's going on. Number one, I am a terrible person, but number two, in this scenario, I'm actually appealing to this guy's mercy. He can give me a cup of coffee if he wants to, but he doesn't have to. I'm just appealing to his mercy. But let's rewind the story with a slightly different scenario. Just suppose you're a member of my congregation. You know, as everybody does, that I love coffee. But you also know that I rarely carry any money with me. And so during the week, you go to my favourite coffee shop and say, hey, listen, I've got a friend. In fact, it's our pastor who is always wanting a cup of coffee and he never carries any money with him. So can I create a tab? Here's 50 bucks. When he comes in, just give him whatever he wants. I didn't know any of that's taken place. But the next Sunday, I'm on my way home from church, I go into the same coffee shop and say, hey, I would love a cup of coffee, but I'm really sorry, I don't have any money with me again, I totally forgot. And the difference is this time, absolutely no argument, a very different response. Ah, absolutely, no, not a problem at all, here's your coffee, and he gives it to me. I go, "Well, that's pretty cool. The next week, I go in again, And I say, hey, I'd love another cup of coffee, still didn't bring any money, and you were really kind last week. And he goes, no, that's right, it's all good. Uh, What would you like? what would I like? Okay, Uh, can I have a, a large, extra hot, skinny, flat white with a shot of hazelnut? Not a problem. And in fact, here's a muffin to go with it. So friends, what's the difference this time? This time he is obligated to do what is just and right because the price has already been paid. This time you're not appealing to his mercy, you're appealing to his justice. And friends, here is the good news. When it comes to your sin, there is cash in the till. Forgive that expression. The price has been paid. Now, that does not mean that you can just go on and sin as much as you like. Paul says, fast forwarding to Romans 6 and verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? No, we come in humility and confession and repentance and say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sin and you are faithful and just. And Jesus says, It's paid for. Again, 1 John 2 and 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So what's all of that saying? It's saying that when you sin and you come before God, who is our judge, you actually have a lawyer, you have an advocate and his name is Jesus Christ. And he says, Father, who is the judge, Peter Shirley's sin was paid in full, covered in full on the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses me from most of my sin? No, from all of my sin. And the father says it's covered. And in justice, he says, you are forgiven because Jesus took everything you and I deserved on the cross. And as a result, we are justified. That's such an important word justified. And I found this great illustration of that particular word back in the days where Scotland uh, would employ capital punishment A man was to be hanged. They would put out an advertisement announcing the crime and announcing uh, the punishment that was carried out. And in part, it would say that this particular man was justified on December, well, whatever, October 26 at 9am, whatever it might be. But they would say he was justified. Does that mean he was forgiven? No, it doesn't. When it says he was justified, it means that at nine o'clock on that particular morning, on that particular day when he was executed, the just requirements of the law were fully and totally and completely met. That at 9 a.m. on the 26th of October, the case is closed, it's done, it's over. But here's here's the thing about this, friends. This is... This is totally personal. This is a decision that nobody else can make for you. Romans 3 and 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. A righteousness by faith to all who believe. Romans 4 and 8, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Romans 5 and 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is really interesting because, again, as we looked at earlier, Paul has talked talked in the earlier chapters about the wrath of God, about the judgment of God, and now wonderfully says, actually, we have peace with God. Romans 5 and 10, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Friends, because of Jesus, we're no longer God's enemies enemies because of our sin we are now united we are now reconciled in fact the bible calls us his friends and there is no condemnation that comes against us no condemnation means god has nothing against you anymore that we are loved and that we are accepted we are forgiven but friends the hope of the cross is not just that we're forgiven which is brilliant the main issue is that through the cross, we have actually reconciled to God. We are reconciled to God and we are now accepted by him and loved by him. And friends, Jesus made a way for us on the cross to live in right relationship with God. And as a result of that, to have the assurance of eternal life. But no one can force you. You don't come to God on false pretenses. It's a decision that you and you alone can make. It comes out of a deep conviction within your heart that you know you're not in a right relationship with God, that you are separated from God because of sin and that you come to that place of knowing I need to put that right.